0: I'll tell you that my biggest failure in my advertising time was I didn't do the ad necessarily, but when I, when I went to Melbourne, we uh, were charged with launching a soft drink from America called Dr Pepper mm. into Australia. And um, we were just told to launch it. You know, the, the local people in, in Australia from uh, Schweppes just launched, you know, Dr Pepper. We'll get it out there. So we made this ad and we, big campaign, millions of dollars. And we, we the ad was we brought the Statue of Liberty, st- Stood off its plinth in sort of New York Harbor and walked underwater and re emerged in Sydney Harbor. And, and it was Dr. Pepper had arrived in Australia and the ad was huge and it was big and, and all these things happened. And uh, blow me down, you're like, we're set, this distribution was all out and happening. People hated the soft drink. They <laughs> couldn't bear the taste. No matter, no weight of advertising could have done it. And the error, the failure there was the failure was big, but the failure there was nobody bothered to do a simple taste test oh, yeah. on this product to where it was.
1: Real People is produced by Square Holes, an agency conducting and publishing customised explorative research on key
0: consumer markets, customers and population segments. Squareholes also provides associated consulting and support to ignite positive business and social behaviour change. Visit squareholes.com for more.
1: Radio, hello there. My name is Jason Dunstone and welcome to Real People, where we interview average and not so average people, academics, researchers and leading thinkers to help us better understand what real people believe and how they behave. Today we are joined by David Menea. If you love the idea of living an eclectic life of creativity, surf music, wine and fringe arts, well strap yourself in for David's story, his own wine brand Two Mates, surf music label Bombora and much more. David worked with Young and Rubicon from 1977 to 2003 from ground to board member. Uh, David started out as a kid with parents running a drive-in and a home adjoining it and has had creativity and the arts embedded into his life right from the start. David has held senior executive leadership board and chair roles in advertising, many commercial enterprises and the Adelaide Fringe. David has been the chair of the Adelaide Fringe Festival since 2014, the world's second largest open access arts festival, only to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. The festival largely takes over Adelaide and even some of the regional areas of South Australia for 31 magical days and nights each year from February to March. This is a chat with David, chock-a-block with insight from the role of the arts in building a strong culture to living a life of creativity, imagination, grabbing opportunities and spotting a good idea. Let's not waste a moment. On with the show. Hit it. That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. Uh, welcome today David, it's a, like a, nice to have you in the room. We'll kind of see what we we'll see whether the the river flows during this discussion over the next sort of hour or so. We're not sure how long it'll be. Um, I'm going to start off asking a question, and we'll go sort of down a whole lot of different paths. The question I've asked in all of these interviews, except the last, except except the first two, uh, what were you like as a young boy?
0: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I can see what I look like as a young boy. <laughs> can you really? And uh, I was quite a, a happy, enjoyable, energetic sort of get-out-there-and-do-things uh, sort of guy. I was the oldest of eight kids, not initially, but, but in, over time. So my parents were wonderful people, you know. And uh, were we you based had,
1: in Adelaide? Uh, based you...
0: in Adelaide, but we also had a bit of time growing up in New South Wales uh, in Gosford. And my dad uh, actually opened the Shannon Drive-In here in Adelaide. He was the manager here, and he got transferred to uh, the Erina Drive-In in Gosford. So I sort of grew up... Uh, well, in Adelaide, we had, uh, didn't have a Hills hoist in the backyard, we had a, a sort of a drive-in speaker and, and phone. So, so that big vision on TV, on those screens was always there. And similarly, when we went to New South Wales. So I grew up surrounded by what I felt was like a, a lot of opportunity, creativity, acting, film, uh, and
1: big. You know, so was so being, your house was connected to a drive-in? Yeah, a
0: backyard literally faced into the drive-in. Wow, how cool was that? So, so we'd have ranch nights. Do you get a bit
1: sad when you kind of see that drive-ins becoming less of a thing? Or well, it just...
0: they're, they're, I, I, one moment in my life in recent years, I mean, um, in the last 20 years, I actually had to go back to Gosford or to Terrigal to a, a conference for a few days. And so I thought I'd drive past the old drive-in where we were spent a lot of time as kids and have a look at it. And for some reason it looked really dilapidated and derelict, but the gate was ajar. So I actually drove in and had a look around and walked around and I could hear the ghosts, I could see the go- it was just an
1: amazing experience of that vibe the, of the whole Yeah, thing.
0: very goosebumpy, you know. And I hadn't been back in that part of the woods for years and years and years. Anyway, so I went to the conference and 4 days later I drive back past the drive-in and it's gone. It had actually been erased and in its place was a thing called Erin Affair. And so that was the passing of time. So that was kind of symbolic. In and how sad. long? How much
1: time was that? Just like, it was like,
0: Four days and it took, took wow. past, you know, it's gone. It's scary, and so it? so it was really interesting for me.
1: So what were yeah. some of the stories of, like, growing up around drive-ins?
0: Well, I mean, you know, the classic are things like Ranch Night where they'd play country and western, or it was not country and western, uh, cowboy and Indian sort of movies. And as a little kid you could go along dressed as a as a cowboy or an Indian or there whatever you. and you get pony rides and all that. And classically I guess it was probably, you know, hundreds of kids all dressed in their pyjamas but with their cowboy hat and their gun belt on and their yeah. various things. So, and we used to have our birthday parties as family, you know, invite your school friends over and play a few cartoons at sunset. And it was, yeah, so it was big and milkshakes were big and, you know, Chico you Rolls find the same families
1: big. came back all the time? Was yeah. It, it was like yeah. a regular, it was a big what event. was the night? Was it a Saturday night thing? Friday a, night
0: usually for Friday that And then Saturday night would have probably been maybe for more for the younger teenagers sort of the teenagers in town the younger sweethearts and so forth yeah, yeah. and uh, and stuff so know it, it was a great Did you work part. there is that no i was no, too you young, bit young. Was too how young, old were yeah. you when you were um i, I guess I had my driving years were up to i was about 10 or 11 because yeah. then we when i was about 10 or 11 we came back to south australia
1: isn't that interesting yeah, yeah it was isn't a wonderful time a, yeah oh, we went to drive-ins bits bits as kids not not necessarily disciplined but i've still got this memory i kind of a I think you remember moments of your life, not kind of necessarily periods of your life. We lived in Launceston and Tassie. It could have been there. It could have been, we lived in Melbourne for a fair bit of time too. And my parents, I think, it was it was called the Swarm, <laughs> and and I think that my parents must have thought we'd all fall asleep in the back seat but we didn't. There was this, I, wake, I remember waking up going, there was just bees everywhere, and it still kind of sits in my head of going, what were my parents thinking? It just saying uh, like this horror movie that just, I'd have to get, it out, get out the movie one day. No, time you should
0: find it, it because it's an interesting story. I remember a movie called Them, H-E-M, which is about giant ants taking over, you know, and sort of the, the luckily we were saved by all the American armies and navies and air forces, but it, it was these giant ants. So for the rest of my sort of childhood, I, I mean, I was fearful of ants sort of growing into monsters and mm. whisking us into caves or whatever.
1: Yeah, that's amazing, and yeah. I always sort of see those, those bits, those I guess say that innovation that kind of changed, and the speakers changed on the, on the car, and you get it on your radio. Yeah, but then it gets to the point where that phase it's is gone, done yeah. and you can't kind of no. you, you wouldn't you can, go back and replace it because there's so many many other no. opportunities to do it differently. It's it, it?
0: gone now, and the technology takes it over. I mean, the other day I was in somewhere in the city in Da Costa Arcade, and I noticed there was a CD shop selling out of CDs and I walked around, had a look at it, and there were only a few you know, modest CDs left in the store and I realised that was the end of an era too, you know, CDs. How do you theater. think you
1: know when, 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 it's, when it's, it's time to let it go? Like this, this is a thing of, of the past and it's time to move on, whether it's drive-ins or CDs yeah. or...
0: I just or keep them. a lot of those things in my mind as really fond wonderful incredible yeah. memories. so they're always there to go back to yeah and you do i mean i'm a bit of a music freak so i'm always back into music in a in a very big way or an old film or whatever so it's actually quite quite good i think you can't get sad about it because yeah. you can't turn back time
1: yeah and i think that's really the important thing and, but as a business uh, owner it must be back going when's the time to say yeah. drive-ins are done Yeah, exactly. When was the guy
0: guy that should have got out of railways and got into airlines? You know, Various sort of things. It's very, very hard and I I guess you do what you know and someone else is going to come along and do what they know, which might be different and more innovative than you. There's a lot of talk these days about innovation and all those things and they're really important and it is changing quite rapidly. So you just have to be probably if you're a, a really active, youthful businessman or woman right now, you have to be more aware... Of those trends, because once yeah. upon a time life didn't change so dramatically. Right now, it can change quite almost overnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And if you don't, if you stay on the bus for too long, it'll it'll crash. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So you, as a child, were you creative? Were you academic? Were you? I, I was.
0: I mean, in, in a school sense, I think I was. Um, the class comedian, you know, if there was a joke to be thrown,
1: yeah.
0: I guess I I threw it. You know, where did that come from? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just the family nature we were. My yeah, dad's yeah. A, obviously a bit of a theatrical person, and and uh, and just just yeah, just his dialogue and various things. I guess we all picked up on that sort of cheeky remark kind of arena. So that was me. But I, but I'd also go home, um, not necessarily primary school, but later years, and study like crazy. So I was actually did quite well, but um, still got myself in enough trouble with my my very funny comments, which made everyone laugh, including the teacher, but the teachers were forced to take some remedial action. Mm. So. Is, that,
1: is that why you went into advertising?
0: Well, um, I, I think there's a bit of that, um, but I have to declare my father was in advertising too. When yeah. I came back to Adelaide, he worked for an agency called NASA McNamara, which was yeah. the agency along with Martin Kinnear Clemenger at the time, and, and a wonderful place full of some amazing... Incredible characters, and they were always doing wonderful things and making ads and various, and, and live uh, commercials on Adelaide Tonight and various things. So from my, my 10 or 11 years through to well, the rest of my life, really, certainly the next seven or eight or nine years, advertising was all I was aware of, really. I used to go to the office you'd with going my to, dad. You'd go
1: to work? And, yeah, yeah. I,
0: well, I'd go dad with, on Sundays and be yeah. in the office and things. So I was aware of advertising really strongly. So I remember... You know, what
1: fascinated you about it? What, what did you...
0: I, I just think the... Well, very fundamentally, it was the creativity of it, the opportunity of it. You know, I I saw it as a a way to create, Mm -hmm. to use that sort of maybe quick one-liners I used to throw out, mix words to get an interesting way, pictures, music. And we're talking, I grew up through the the 60s there, you know, sort of I was uh, 15 and 67, so you kind of get the idea that music was really important in my life, film was really important in my life. So advertising was like this condensation um, of of all of that. So Mm -hmm. it, it gave me... An entry point, Can and then
1: play music as like
0: not. No, I'm like, hopeless at anything. I music. I've, I've got my own like, like music, well, yeah, I love music. Yeah, 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 I, yeah, I absolutely love music to death. You yeah, know, yeah. so so. It, but advertising was was a way, and I did. I didn't really realize I was going to go into advertising because when I when I left school and matriculated, I actually was either going to do law or I ended up um, getting uh, into teachers' college in Adelaide University to do an arts degree. But I, I realized very quickly that wasn't for me, and I remember telling my father one night that. Um, I'd left university and I wasn't going to go anymore, you know, and my dad was a very calm, mild-mannered man, normally hit the roof and went (laughs) crazy. And I'm, wow, we we, we struggle to put you through, all that sort of thing. And then um, when he did calm down, he said to me, well, what do you want to do? I said, I think I want to get into advertising. Boom, up through the roof again. So, that? and uh, I just, I just is? think, I just think he thought it was a tough industry, you know. And I look back, tough in what
1: way? Like what, what?
0: I just, you know, hard, you know, a lot of hard work, you yeah. know, and and not easy, you know. You had to really be creative. If
1: you've got an account, then you lose that account. Or,
0: yeah, and all that. And I think, I think it's just, just the business of it is tough. It's relentless, you know. But but in a way, that's what. I look back on and what intrigued me to go to the business was it was great, you know, and um, I think the whole, I I think I've been fortunate enough to live my life sort of in a creative world, in a creative environment, you Mm. know, and always doing things that were kind of creative either on your own or with your work or with partners or friends or clients or people and it's great. So very, very fortunate to have spent, the, you know, dare I say, the the almost uh, 50 years of my life
1: in, in and around advertising. So, where, where did you first go into advertising, sort of how did you move around the advertising? Yeah, no,
0: well, um, I got into, uh, after I dropped out of, of uh, teachers' college, et cetera, there was a job in the advertising department at Meyer in the city and as a layout copywriter, and I got that job. And interestingly, um, across the cubicle from where I was working was a, a younger, one-year-older, Peter Withey. So yep. i started a friendship oh, in okay. 1970 yeah. that has lasted until this day. So yep. very good friends, very, yeah. very good friends. So we just did, you know, we, we thought we were cool and groovy, you know, sort of, you know, doing layouts and ads and appearing in the advertiser the next day and stuff, and, um, you know, we were just juniors. We were just advertising juniors, but we had a lot of fun, a yep. lot of fun.
1: And then you went, when, you went, when did you go into agency world? Well,
0: well from there I went to um, uh, from the advertiser went I worked for Channel 9 here in Adelaide for two and a half years, yeah. which was a great time because I was like, doing promotions on air, uh, bits and pieces and things, and so I learnt very quickly about broadcast. Uh, the broadcast medium, and but again, a lot of creativity, a lot of fun, a lot of on the moment. You know, it had to happen now, and here it is. So I was writing scripts for half an hour later or whatever, so you were, you were churning out stuff, and that was really good. So I, But after two and a half years, I then spent a bit of time in the Advertiser and, and at 5AD, I guess, understanding more about newsprint and, and and radio broadcast, and that was terrific, wonderful people. 5AD was flying at the time, and again, just some great people, as with Channel 9, took me under their wing, and gave me opportunity, more importantly gave me guidance and a fair degree of tolerance. Mm. So it was really good. And then I, then I went to an agency called, uh, which ended up being, it was called Collinson, uh, Ken Collinson ran it and I was doing Moore's ads and various things. That became Ogilvy and Mather and then uh, a short time later in 1977 I joined um, Young and Rubicam which was a, a 26 year plus career right. in Adelaide,
1: Melbourne and overseas. So what was, what was Young and Rubicam like at that sort of time, was it? Obviously,
0: that's... Yeah. YR I, I think, has to be sort of probably the best agency Adelaide has ever seen. And yeah. Again, in, in, And, again, certainly it was the biggest agency that had been in this town, but it was the best because its focus was on creativity, on mm. the best possible work you could do, you know. And so we were doing things like Not So Squeezy, you know, Hay Charger, Where Do You Hide Your Cooler Bar? And so, and it goes on and on through generations of, of various people who, did, who worked there creating that sort of work. So the, the creative ethos was alive and well and challenging within Y&R. And, and I, you know, I was lucky to join there at uh, 27. And so I learnt a lot really quickly and I was exposed mm. to some really And that was their people. ethos about creativity absolutely. as part of that ethos, it, it, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it, the, the fundamental issue was... that so we get
1: more work because we're creative. We yeah, do and
0: there's a difference here. in positioning and the creativity in turn, not just creativity for creativity's sake, but based on strong strategy to allow for better returns to our clients. And we had plenty of proof of how that had actually yeah, worked.
1: Okay. And is uh, that about getting good people on the team who can be creative and yeah, be strategic? And- yeah,
0: it is. And, and um, you know, you find uh, great strategic thinkers are very, very powerful people and can have a very heavy influence on creative ideas then you get great creative ideas for people who aren't obsessed with just their own creativity but actually linking that back into the business component and turning it into a benefit of, a, of, of someone else. So I think that, that, that was the strength, you know. y and had a philosophy at that time which was, and, and always in my time at y uh, resist the usual Don't do the ordinary, don't do the usual, always seek to find a better way, you know. I mean, we sort of turn that at times into other things like, you know, good enough is not great enough. Mm -hmm. And that was an internal challenge on every individual. And whatever they did, be it media or whatever, Mm -hmm. push the boundaries. And it was a a unique place.
1: Was was that an ethos that you had in a local agency that you were sort of managing or was it across... The it, whole network.
0: It was pretty much across the network, by, but it was it came from the top. I guess via New York, the madmen of New York, who were wonderful. Um, but we had this great microcosm where it really flourished incredibly well. Mm. And you know, for many many years, I mean, um, uh, in fact, pretty much the entire lifetime of Wine R Adelaide, it was the biggest Young and Rubicam office in Australia by some Is that margin. Right? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So we had, it, you know, over the years, you know, most of the significant clients in Adelaide, you know, be it sort of your Orlando, Mitsubishi, John Martins, the Brewery, Simpson, you know, you, I could go on. I mean, it's mm. just some big, big company, big national company names. Yeah. And we provided that national ability
1: from from Adelaide. Yeah. It's always, a, I guess it fascinates me even like now when talking more about innovation and, and creativity in a different context than maybe what it was then. But there's, it's mixing that creativity and the business side. Obviously you need to, need to pay the bills and you need to have the business growing and hitting financial kpi yeah how how do you kind of balance that when you kind of you got the reality of paying the bills and meeting wages but at the same time you've got to actually make sure that the work is the thing that drives great smart people great creative people
0: one of the greatest gifts i think we were blessed with it and i've felt in many other things i've done sort of over my life in general just having great clients Mm. who understand that creativity can make a difference and that it takes time and it's a it's not easy always to hit the mark. And you've got to try and push at it. So I think what's happened as I look at today's world, and I don't want to look over my shoulder and say, oh, the good old days, because I'm not doing that. I just think speed right now at getting things done seems to be the obsession, as opposed to getting things done well, intelligently, smartly, and effectively.
1: So, get, speed at getting it's, something out. There. Yeah, the,
0: everything's too fast. Yeah. You know, the time is not taken to look at things and, and craft and think and, and, and generate. We're all. All of us are guilty, no matter what our occupations are, of trying to do too much in a period of time too quickly.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so when you so you left YNR, and then did, did you kind of go into an entrepreneurial direction, or did you kind of what? Yeah.
0: what? Well, when I I, I um, left YNR, I made my mind up in. 2000, I was living in Melbourne. I was vice chairman of Australasia and group chief executive of about four or five companies we had in Melbourne. And I decided it was time to come home in 2000. So we did and YNR, uh, kindly made me chairman of YNR Adelaide, which was terrific, terrific role. But by that stage, I mean, I, I knew that I'd spent 26 years or whatever of my life at WNR. I wanted to do something different. And, and so it was time to do that. I had a situation where I could do it. So I just, uh, stepped outside. First thing I did was, um, uh, set up a little advertising agency called Bombora, which ironically, uh, um is also the name of my surf music record label. Um, and so we did some work, a lot of work for people like San Remo and stuff, some very big campaigns, which were highly effective. So I was actually able to choose the work. Mm. I didn't have to do a lot of work. The I didn't work have a lot of staff. Yeah. I was blessed by having people like Steve Callan and, um, Craig McLean working with me. And so it was really, it was quite good. Yeah. And the clients knew of me. So it was a bit easier. So yeah. that was great. And, and we had a lot of fun for a few years, but, but more and more I was, I was just traveling in my own, Creative pursuits, trying to find the things I wanted to do. And, and one thing I, I knew all along because of my passion for music that I wanted to make a record. You know, I didn't really mind what it was going to be, how it was going to be. I actually want to make one record, you know. And uh, Destiny has a situation where I'm a, a friend of mine is a guy called John Schumann, who people should remember from I Was Only 19 and yeah. Red Gum and so on. A good bloke, a great bloke. And um, anyway, I was telling him about this idea about making. A record, And I had I'd got a bit of a fascination with a band uh, out of the uh, a broom called the Pigrams and I was going to try and talk to them and, and John sort of sat me down uh, and said, why don't you do a record with me? And I, I thought, well, that's a pretty amazing offer. And, you know, he he'd also hadn't been working much in a musical sense for some period of time. So um, we decided to meet for lunch and have a conversation about it. It was very, very funny because um, we went to lunch and both of us came in and we looked a bit hurried and busy and we sat down and said, look, I haven't got a lot of time, only one glass of white wine, only one glass of wine and we, we've got to keep going. Well, about 18 glasses of white wine each later, we staggered out of that place. But by then we, we came up with this concept for the first album like that Bombora, my label, ever made, which was uh, we took the poems, of a number of poems of Henry Lawson, say eight or 12, I think, and uh, turned them into songs. And, and John shared the vocals with all sorts of great Australians like Robbie Hurst from Midnight Oil, Mike Rudd from Spectrum and Shane Howard from Goanna. So we, we created this uh, – we took really amazing words, put John's voice and friends – with great music and created this uh, really amazing album called Lawson, and um, it received amazing acclaim. So I achieved my goal of, yeah. of putting this out, there. and that but,
1: sounded like it was a, a creative pursuit rather than oh totally rather necessarily a no, it, top it, record no. On
0: it, the, it, it wasn't. I mean, it would have been nice to get a top record, you know, gold <laughs> no, no. But it, it, look, it didn't. What it did, it just gave me confidence to play in that. Area. I had some yeah. knowledge, and I, and I had I had also met. Some great people who could help me fulfil further. So, a guy called Kieran Tolhurst, who is a is a, um, a producer, but had also been in the Dingoes, written a number of hits for the Dingoes, and a, a great record. He was living in New York at the time. Uh, various things like that. Mick Wordley, who's an engineer in Adelaide, extraordinary man, extraordinary talent, and he was involved with it. Uh, a guy out, of, a former Adelaidean called Chris Moss, out of Sydney, was involved with record labels. Really helpful people. And what transpired then was this idea that. I found myself talking to Kieran Tolhurst about um, guitar, so surf music in Australia having a different sound to American surf music and that it was more influenced by European overtones than it was, say, the California sound directly. Mm. And so if you listen to Atlantic's Bombora, for example, you can hear Europe and gypsies and various things in, in that sound. And so blow me down. He and I had another concept called Delightful Rain, which is where we put a whole lot of old surf bands back together and put them in a freshwater surf lifesaving club in Sydney's Northern Shore where the Duke Kahana Moku had introduced surfing in 1908 or whenever to Australia. And we recreated this thing over two weeks where we had different bands every day.
1: And they played um, live? And
0: they played live. Yeah. We recorded live like it was a live recording, so it's got a great sound to it. Um, and so that – and we filmed it with Mike Piper and the team from Adelaide. And, again, it was an amazing thing. It was – but obviously,
1: those uh, pursuits were sort of stretching beyond your yeah. initial comfort zone. Weren't uh, well, uh,
0: they? comfort and financial. So it was it was one it was one of those things. But again, it was a journey that just sort of took off, and suddenly this this thing became bigger than going with the wind. And it's it's a magical piece. I mean, there's a CD, DVD out. An ABC licensed it, and it's been played several times on the ABC over over the ensuing years. And probably two, three million people have seen the thing. We've sold heaps of CDs, heaps of DVDs. But but importantly, it established Bombora. As the surf music record label in Australia, yeah, wow. Um, a little out of little old Adelaide. Are you with, a surfer? No, yeah.
1: Are you a surfer or yeah? In
0: my mind, I'm a mind yeah. surfer. Probably, I always yeah, Probably I is, a bit, yeah,
1: probably yeah. similar to me. But.
0: Yeah, a little bit of it, but but really, the the, the point there is to me, surf music was was a wonderful thing. It also allowed so me. What to, was
1: good about what, what what's it about surf music or Australian it, surf music?
0: Well, I just think that it that it actually takes you to the places. Yeah. I mean, if you hear Richard Clapton sing, you know, Capricorn Dancer or you hear um, uh, Blue Bay Blues by um, the Pigrams on, on Delightful Rain and some other things, you you, you are transported to a place. Yeah. And somehow that surf culture and the whole thing, you know, especially in the 70s and 80s, gave people permission mm. to live an alternate lifestyle. Not necessarily they had to run away and live in Nimbin or wherever, but they could live in a different way. Mm. So it's actually got sort of an ethos in it that's hard to special time, wasn't it, really, yeah,
1: when it was yeah. sort of almost – It was how it was, you know.
0: know, If you sit down and and take the time to watch something like Morning of the Earth again today, it's as good now as it was then, you know, so it's uh, quite magical. And other
1: albums you can't.
0: Yeah, well, so far the label's made... um, uh, in ten years, I think we've done thirty-six albums. So um, oh, different right. artists all along. You know, for, uh, the boys of Midnight Oil, when Peter Garrett wasn't, long, was, wasn't performing with them, we formed a band called The Break,
1: yeah.
0: and we recorded an album called Church of the Open Sky, which is a real high, sort of psychosurf album. And uh, but working with Robbie Hurst, Jim McGinley, and Martin Rotsey, and um, uh, Brian Ritchie from the Violent Femmes was just an experience to behold. They were true talents. Uh, and true gentlemen. These guys have been to the top of the world, but they were really down-to-earth mm. human beings, fantastic mm-hmm.
1: people. So. Yeah, well, I think it, music's this like, amazing way of sort of seeing that evolution that it morphs over time, doesn't it really? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah it does. And, and everyone's got a a favourite song. I mean, if you ask me what's my favourite song, I've got 10,000 favourite songs. But in a particular moment or mood or time, music is really, really a powerful um, piece of how people are made up of, or what people yeah. makes
1: people up. So you know, it says something about the time that that period of time. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah it does. So you, you feel good, you know. So there there are there are things that, that you know that if you hear a song, a it takes you back to a place, or b it transports you to a feeling, to a person, to something. And I think uh, very very powerful, very yeah. very powerful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and you've gone like, uh, when do the arts become part of your? Your life career, well, obviously music. Yeah, music is the arts.
0: But yeah, well, look, I think the arts has always been there. Again, back to my mum and dad and my family. You know, from as early as I can remember, we've been involved in the theatre. You know, live theatre. Dad was on stage, and he became a writer, producer, doing stage shows at the Repertory Theatre. And when we came back to Adelaide, and then as an actor, then writing reviews at the university and various things. So. We were always, I mean, again, you're talking sort of spending time in Dad's office on a Sunday, I can remember spending many, many days or nights or whatever in re- watching rehearsals inside theatres and stuff. So, again, that environment was great. And many of my mm-hmm. family, including myself, did did some acting roles when we were kids and various things. And so the arts has always been, and I, it's strange enough, I do see advertising still as an art form, but it's always been part of it. So it's easy to fall into um, being associated with the arts. And, again, it goes back to this background of, of of a life in creativity. You know, mm. crea-
1: there's people. They're very emotional. But it sounds like yeah. your parents almost normal or normalise the arts and creativity and yeah. your dad didn't necessarily want you going into it. But, uh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, no.
0: No, it is. It's very no, that's absolutely true. You know, it's a, again, you know, just just a great environment. I can still think back to moments and people and, and times I've met through my parents or others um just amazing people you know that you you meet along the journey you know i mean robert stigwood um uh was a very close friend of my mother and father's here in adelaide and so um you know he obviously went on to amazing things with the you know his whole broadway life his his music life with the bgs and so on so again there was an association there you know i was fortunate enough to find myself at the premiere of A Vita on broadway courtesy of him but mm-hmm. happen to be there working for Y R. So you know, yeah, yeah. two things two elements work together, you know. So um yeah, it's just what it, the way it's been. Yeah.
1: And you've had had other entrepreneurial pursuits. You've, I think you've got a wine you I have um, a wine label, yeah. You've got other business it. other your yeah. wine and other businesses you've been involved in
0: Yeah, what? look, I, I think um, I'm I'm try I try very hard these days to be quite accessible to people with a with ideas and intentions mm-hmm. and and give them some some guidance and advice not necessarily long term it can be short term it can be one meeting it can be mm-hmm. a direction sometimes people want you to tell them what they want to hear but you want to tell them how you think it's going to be so i, I do a, a little bit of that with with a number of people and uh try and help help the. i sit on a number of boards. Uh, I'm on the Arns Engineering Board, which is based out of a big australia wide company based out of out of um, the Barossa Valley, on the edge of the Barossa Valley. Um, I'm on the Kojo Board, um, which is again a great South Australian. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess. doing work by,
1: within, from South Australia, but yeah. Also in the US, and, yeah, they're
0: huge, yeah. And, and they're doing well. They've got offices in Sydney, Melbourne, and again, it's a creatively based agency. It is. And the, the thing with creativity, too, again, is is there's always a risk involved, so you have to try and not minimise the risk, but. Be sure you got the, you know, with all the knowledge or time you've had, you can actually judge an idea and say it's got a better than, better than reasonable chance of making it. You know, mm-hmm. so so and Kojo, a great example of how things are. I've been the chairman of the Roger Steed Sports Foundation. helped Roger set that up, and that's done some great things. Uh, I did the first five years, and there's now other people running it. But but again, a great a great opportunity to do something. You know, so I enjoy those things. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, I. I guess I say yes too often to some things, you know, as in get involved, mm. but that's, you know, my you nature. You said we were
1: saying before that that's just your personality. That you yeah, you do that. <laughs> it's easy, somehow it's easy to say yes <laughs> You'd be but be bored no. otherwise. Yeah, something. yeah. And so your sorry. wine? When did, when did you wine? Uh,
0: oh, I went, wow. well, My wine's called Two Mates and uh, my partner in wine is a guy called Mark Venable who I met in Italy at his brother-in-law's um, uh, 40th birthday, and his brother-in-law worked for him for many years, a guy called Steve callan and in his own right, a very talented uh, advertising and film guy. And uh, so I remember one night we had far too many glasses of wine in a little bar in a little village in, in uh, Umbria, and uh, we decided that when we got back to Australia, we were going to make our perfect shiraz You know, now I woke up the next morning feeling less than well, and thought, "Well, that that will never happen." And blow me down. Mark woke up less than well and said, "Let's make it happen." And so anyway, we did, and so here we are, ten vintages later, um, a great Shiraz um, that's done very very well in the wine, sort of acclaim and stuff. So it's great. But it's a hobby, you know. It's one of those indulgences, and I I convinced my wife that if we if we didn't make any money out of this, it'd be okay because we'd have plenty of wine to drink. So Mm. got got (laughs) through that. Got through that. So it's all right, you know. Yeah.
1: And you, you what, like, how long you been married? Ah,
0: my wonderful wife, Vicky, uh, long suffering, incredible. Um, she's terrific. I mean, amazing. No, we um, uh, we met at Channel Nine. Strangely enough, um, yeah. uh, in nineteen seventy two, um, she was uh, the new receptionist, and someone said you should check out the new receptionist. And mm. here I am, um, all these years later, still married to that receptionist. You know, yeah, well, yeah. not she's not the receptionist, but <laughs> she's she's been a great backbone. For me and my son and uh, our son, and the things that that have happened, uh, she's been along for the ride, along yeah. for the journey, and always there and always a partner.
1: It's important to have that. I've, I've been no, married no. to my wife for twenty years in um, in January, so that, so it's nice to have a, someone that's sort of there for the ride, oh, the cool. ups and the downs and the spins and the roundabouts yeah. and whatever. So uh,
0: it, it is it is quite remarkable, you know, and yeah. um, and you know, I could sometimes be accused for taking it for granted. Never intentionally, but yeah. I can understand thoughtlessly sometimes that may be the case. Yeah. But uh, no, life's good. Life's yeah. good.
1: But a very ec- eclectic life that you've had. and But it sounds yeah. like there's that thread of creativity that's gone through and thinking about things differently, and it doesn't yeah. sound like it was by design. It just feels like that's no. just kind of the path you've yeah. actually kind of it, followed. It was the
0: really. serendipity of the yeah. whole thing, I, I think, you know, how things fall into place, you know, yeah. and what they do and, and where they go. And I think, you know, I think it's harder these days for people to find a career in the creative landscape um, because what's there was... What, what you, well, I think what? there was more opportunity. I mean, there, there was more... Like, just take advertising before. It was a bigger platform in Adelaide, for example, than it is now. Yeah. You know, it would be 20% of what it was in a sense... In of, terms so, of
1: spend or in yeah, terms of... Yeah, and size yeah.
0: and people and venues. And so, so people are finding new ways to do it. Whereas now, I think it's harder. But what's happening then, I think people are better, the younger people are better because they're innovating with their own, within their own context. So yeah. they have technology and many other things to do it. My issue there would always be make sure you have the best idea. Don't settle for the mediocre or the ordinary. Yeah. Push the boundaries mm. and, and resist the usual, to use that old Y&R phrase, yeah. because I think that's the, that's the danger. That we,
1: that today, Are you seeing that? Is that what you I, kind of I always
0: worry about that. Yeah. You know that that, that that the blanket of mediocrity is very comforting, very warm, and very right. really nice, but it's not good enough. Yeah.
1: You know, because I'm am I'm, I'm assuming I'm sort of in my mind anyway that words like creativity, innovation, entrepreneurship – and the likes, are used far more yeah. than they were 20, 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Is, that, is yeah. that fair? And they don't have
0: the same meaning as they did 20...
1: So I mean, How, how's it sort yeah. of changed? It sounds... Well, I kind of almost liken it sometimes that sort of back a couple of decades ago maybe sort of there'd be people with maybe a musician on the wall, poster on the wall now it's it's almost like a becomes the entrepreneurs like we, yeah. we, we kind of admire Elon Musk and the likes just the same we would have admired a, a muso a couple of decades ago yeah
0: look it's it, it's one of those funny things where you start to look at it and think about it and uh, to, earlier today I was watching a um a corporate yeah, three or four minute video from someone I won't name who or where or what and it actually wasn't from South Australia but they used every cliche known to man mm. in that three minutes about their future direction, you know, innovative participation, sort of a collaboration, and all and his words over and over again. And at the end of, it, I thought, what the hell was that about? Mm. So you know, I think we run the risk of clicheing ourselves into the ordinary, mm. as opposed to standing out for the extraordinary. It's really, really hard, you know. And but is that
1: is that about is that about how an individual's Brain works or how skilled they are about being creative or how good they are as an entrepreneur, or and some people that believe they might be good that they're not. How do, how do you kind of I not think like?
0: there's a bit of that, that there's a bit some people that believe they're good but they're not. But I think you have to find the right people to help you be yeah,
1: okay. that creative, that collaboration. Uh, yeah, is again,
0: it's, it's finding those people within the context that are better than you, challenge you, pull you, push you, whatever that really makes a difference. It's very, very hard. I think I think too many people again mix or wallow in this sort of it's okay, it's good enough it's okay here we go and they convince themselves and they wonder why they don't work sometimes in an advertising sense or creative sense or whatever you know you have to be different you have to really push the brownies. it's too easy to go the safe route and make the safe decision um, so know, how, but how
1: do you know if you're packing the safe decision what, what? Because it, it sounds like, it sounds like you're, you've been good over your career to sort of even just mapping it through the last sort of half hour or so at pulling good teams together. And you kind of have a good level of self-awareness of I'm good at this, I'm not good at that. So yeah. i get people in to fill that gap. But I'm assuming there's other people out there listening that maybe aren't. They kind of maybe believe they're good at that and maybe their, their skills are best yeah. put elsewhere.
0: Uh, look, it is true. You know, and, and, and people can get very emotional about their creative idea. You know, mm. or their whatever positioning for their business or whatever it may be. And you, you, you can't argue through that. So, but if they can't see it, mm. then there's the answer. But there's someone who's always going to tell them the truth, and that could be the customer or whatever it is at the other end. Mm. Eventually, you hear the truth back that way, you know? So, and again, you know, you would find that in your world, you know, that you, the research is going to tell you one thing, mm. but, uh, but do, they, do they always listen? Yeah, yeah. And do they always act accordingly, you know? So it's, it's hard, you know. It's a, I don't mean to challenge people on that, but I just do think I ask them to think more deeply about what are you trying to do. Mm. And often when people don't know, they go to ground, they go to safe territory. Yeah, okay. As opposed to get to know, yeah. they go to ground and they, and they stay.
1: So that willingness to confront, so not just accept that someone says, I've got a great idea and accept yeah. that that's a great idea, yeah. is to question that. And, uh, and work it. around it, you know.
0: Yeah. And, 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 I, and I reckon nearly every idea has an ability to be great. It's just in the right hands in the right way and, yeah, yeah, and, and done texturally, you know. Yeah. So it, it's really, uh, you know, it's a bit of an ethereal conversation we're having here. Yeah. But uh, but, I, but I do believe it fundamentally, you know. And I, and I guess for a lot of people who aren't necessarily in the creative side of life and looking for those sort of people to help them, it's hard because there. then, along with that, comes a degree of trust. At some point, they have to give their trust. To people, and I guess that's where people can get burnt. That's the difference between good agencies and bad agencies. Good creative people, bad creative people, all those sort of things. But 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 there's a moment there. Yeah.
1: But it's that leadership, isn't it? Really, it's that leadership of having that a leader with or leadership or or mentoring or whatever you might call it, having that trust. But that trust to be able to be a devil's advocate or or to be able to ask those hard questions that um, others might. Just want to say, yeah, yeah. that's wonderful. High yeah. five! You, you've yeah. just been able to. So you having that comfort in yourself, to be able to say, I'm not sure. About, and that's that's why you're in yeah. on boards and 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 a director yeah. and been able to be able to make those pragmatic. Uh, bits of insight about questioning. Yeah,
0: and I think I'm really relatively always sympathetic to the other side because I try Mm. to find a way forward. But I'm sort of also encouraged by when I look around Adelaide and a couple other places in Australia I know quite well in an advertising market sense, some of the young teams or agencies or groups that are emerging are really interesting because they've found you know, how to work the new media, I don't even like that phrase, new media, because there's no media, it's, it's media, mm. it's ways of connecting consumers. They've found how to do it and they're smarter and quicker and their strategic abilities are good, their creative abilities are good. Sometimes they can be a bit mediocre and they're sort of like general, mm. but but the idea, that I think there's a there's a, a thrust, and I think South Australia on a number of fronts here has some really great young practitioners, uh, advertising guys who are really, and women, I don't mean it, it's guys in general, um who have the ability to really take people to the next level. Mm. And I think there's a bit of a, a trust movement there too from the more traditional to those sort of areas. Yeah, okay. You know, and I think people have been chasing both technology and ideas, like we've got to get a better website, we've got to get a better – and they're not quite sure why they need a better website or what do we do about Spotify or – sorry, about um, uh, uh, Twitter or Facebook or, or Instagram, how do we do that? And so they're going to the things as opposed to what's the message mm.
1: what's the way. And but so, it's not—it's not selling a widget. It's actually saying, "It's—it's um, it's, it's been convincing and building up trust to, to drive it onto something better, isn't exactly. it?" Exactly. Yeah. 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 And we, we did some, we, uh, some work many years ago, and we were dealing—it uh, was in relation to Adelaide Oval and building of Adelaide Oval. And one, one thing we found quite fascinating is they'd have guys from AFL and 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 the likes in the in the room, and and particularly guys who sort of come from a real footy background. They were they were very skilled at being candid. So they would look someone yep. across the table on the other side of the room and they'd say, well, well, respect and without being rude, with all due respect, I think you're talking a load of crap. Yep. And, and they'd say it. And yep. where sort of other people would go, well, I can't say that. i will yep. upset them. They yep. might start crying. And, yep. But there were the, the guys that were able to sort of, maybe because it was the the team kind of building kind of environment they, were, they came from, that was something they felt quite comfortable about yep. being candid because candid was really important. Yep. And it sounds like that sort of almost something from, from your side of that ability to be able to say candid to be candid in a, in a way that doesn't yeah. upset somebody, that makes them feel...
0: I, I think you be candid in, in an encouraging way. Yeah. You know, I, I, suppose I spent a fair bit of my life encouraging people that their idea wasn't as good as they thought it was, yeah. you know, so you have to be... You want to go walk away friends, but, but, but again, it's, it's, it's got to be based on sort of um, smarts, you mm. know, what, what you know and, what, um, and I guess what you don't know, but trying to work some things out. So, you know, it, it is about that and it's about being honest and it's about communicating mm. fairly and openly um, but they've got to trust you. And, and um, well, I think that. I mean, I remember there was a guy in um, in America wrote an ad. Uh, his, his name was Carl Alley and the, the agent was uh, Alley Galgano. And uh, it was a big ad in the New York Times. And the headline was something like, Trust is the greatest gift you can give your agency. And I reckon that's a really powerful statement because mm. at the end, you've got to believe in that agency and now I have to trust you, mm. and and so yeah, you know it's all a little bit sort of cliche in some ways, but I love that thought because you know the responsibility that came with things like trust given to you as an agency, pretty powerful. Mm. You do things better and, and sort of harder and you think more, and you don't sleep at night thinking a better way to do things. So mm. it's a big thing as opposed to trying to control. That's right. You know, agencies, uh, clients can sometimes run the risk of trying to control. The agency and do what the boss wants, or do what I want, or do whatever.
1: And that's like getting and that, getting the right clients. Yeah, and
0: yeah. So they know, you know. And again, the right track record, either in your past yeah. or whatever. But you know, it's a, it's a very big thing. And that's working with them, knowing them, understanding them, listening to them, arguing with them at times when you're candid yeah. comments. And uh, again, why and I had a had a wonderful line in a in a particular ad that that said about working with clients, and it said uh, it's all about service, not civility.
1: Yeah.
0: And I reckon that's a yeah, really yeah. powerful statement. And that's that I fascinating
1: because um, I do work for a lot of big organisations and I guess for us it's you're trying to find a partner, you're trying to find an organisation that wants to work with you yeah. as a partner, not a subservient relationship. Yeah, no,
0: yeah. Sure And I'm sure there's always people out there they can find who do what they want. That's right. There's, there's no worries about it. There's plenty of those.
1: So, but they're not, they're not fun relationships. No, no, the thing is watch <laughs> You're one. going to do creative work yeah. if you, you feel yeah. like you've been um, yeah. enslaved.
0: And, and the other part of this whole process too is really interesting, isn't it, because we're talking about succeeding and all that sort of stuff. The other side of success is failure. And I, and I have no problem with failure being kind of recognised as a bonus or a benefit mm. you know, in some things.
1: You know, so, so when's that? When, when is, when's failure a, fa- failure a bonus?
0: Well, I, I just think everyone's wiser. Yeah. You know, I, I'll tell you that my biggest failure in my advertising time was I didn't do the ad necessarily, but when I, when I went to Melbourne, we uh, were charged with launching a soft drink from America called Dr Pepper mm. into Australia. And um, we were just told to launch it. You know, the, the local people in, in Australia from uh, Schweppes just launched, you know, Dr Pepper. We'll get it out there. So we made this ad and we – big campaign, millions of dollars. And we, we had, the ad was we brought the Statue of Liberty st- – Stood off its plinth in sort of New York Harbor and walked underwater and re emerged in Sydney Harbor. And and it was Dr. Pepper had arrived in Australia and the ad was huge and it was big and and all things happened. And uh, blow me down, you're like, we're set, distribution was all out and happening. People hated the soft drink. They (laughs) couldn't bear the taste. No matter, no weight of advertising could have done it. And the error, the failure there was the failure was big, but the failure there was nobody bothered. To do a simple taste test mm-hmm. on this product to where
1: it was it, Like the, selling, selling Vegemite in the US. Exactly,
0: you know. Yeah. So it, it, a big, big, big lesson back to the basics. You've got to get the product you know, right because we're all convinced was it was you know
1: it was going to work, you know. Yeah, 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 and nice. so there you go. But you know. It's even a great brand, isn't it, really? But the product yeah, yeah. isn't in our um, No, it's like medicine in the can. Face bars taste
0: yeah. no, and because you grow up with it. I mean, what it did hit was a core in Australia, about 14-year-old boys and all that sort of stuff, and I kind of get why. But in America, you grow up with it, and there's, that's huge. there's more of that sort of soft yeah. drink around in certain parts of America anyway, So you know, yeah. but, you know, but a big lesson, an expensive lesson.
1: Yeah. So we've talked about creativity and even the arts being part of your life um, or throughout your life. When did the fringe come in?
0: Yeah, well, that's, um, I've been chairman of the Fringe. It, uh, 2019 Fringe will be my fifth year as chairman. And, um, I was on the board a year before that. So, um, I guess we're going back to 2013 or somewhere around there. And, um, I remember, um, Judy Potter, who was the previous chair of the Fringe, uh, uh, 10 years, a great person and a really passionate arts individual. Quite amazing, really. And Bill Spur, you know, a wonderful character in tourism and a number of, a mm. uh, gentleman. And, um, a very great South Australian. They took me to lunch one day and I thought they were going to talk to me about some other marketing challenge somewhere else and blow me down. I realised very quickly they were talking about would I like to join the Fringe board with the possibility of um, becoming the chairman. And I and I actually liked the idea. I mean, I'd previously been chairman of the Film Corporation for a while and on the Tourism Board and a few things. And the, the, why I liked the Fringe more was it was one step removed from government. I appreciate the government, but it was independent body. So you had uh, a bit more ability. So I took the role on and, and luckily a year later I was elected chairman. And I must say, it's been amazing. It's, it's the most fun I've had since really working uh, in a young and Rubicon-type environment running an agency because it's all about um, energy, creativity, um, uh, emotions, business, Money in, out, and so on. You know, so it's a it's got all the trappings of what an advertising agency is, and uh, you know, people think we're a sort of a, a circus that turns up in Adelaide four weeks every year or whatever. It's a it's a year round full on business. Um, you know, not for profit business. We start the year. And you with have zero. different
1: um, stages or phases throughout the year? Yeah, what, what we
0: do it. and how we have to do. It. You know, yeah. We, yeah, we're a not for profit. We start uh, with zero on our, our balance sheet at the beginning. At the beginning of the financial year, and we end with zero. So, we, what we raise yeah, is what okay. we spend on the event. And the team, um, has the board has been sensational. The team uh, under Heather Kroll, who's the CEO and the director, her leadership, we've achieved so much because, um you know, every year the Fringe has got bigger and bigger and bigger, it's getting record-breaking and so on. And and it's done that over generations too, you know. It's not just about right, but it's really got to a sort of point now where we're the biggest open access arts festival in Australia and the second biggest Fringe in the world after Edinburgh. And those two titles I think are really, really important Mm. because they differentiate South Australia not just on the national stage but on the global arts stage. Mm. The Adelaide Fringe is well-known within the arts world. So artists come here every year Mm. to be part of what they know is a successful, great, creative, engaging environment. And the people of Adelaide and South Australia are incredible because they just wholeheartedly embrace Fringe. They They turn up in their droves you know, they're absolutely wonderful, you know. I I remember saying to the Premier, the uh, Labor Premier Jay Wetherill somehow this just lifts the self-esteem of our state to another level, Mm. you know. It it really, really works. I mean the only thing I can imagine doing more than the Adelaide Fringe in that sense would be a a Crows Power Grand Final played on Adelaide Oval, you know. Mm. So it's that big, it's that sort of idea and people just love it. You know, yeah. just, the feedback's amazing. Yeah.
1: How long's the Fringe been going?
0: Well, it's interesting. It started in uh, 1960 and it started um, out, at, so t- 2020 will be its 60th year. So it started um, out of, uh, as as a renegade reaction to the, fe- the first Festival of the Arts because the first Festival of the Arts in 1960 decided that it would bring, it wouldn't use Adelaide actors and people. It was going to bring, actors and stage shows from Melbourne or from overseas to do it. So the locals mm. said, well, we've had enough of that, thanks very much, and uh, um, decided to sort of stage the first Fringe mm. uh, in 1960. It is the same ethos that really start, established, the same principle that established the Edinburgh Festival uh, Fringe uh, in 1947. Right. So it's got a real sort of of the people yeah. edge to it of, and, and of the artists, for the artists. Um, they, there is no Fringe without the artists so it 's got a great sort of soul you know it 's going kind of, it 's really real you know yeah, and yeah. and it's uh it's wonderful
1: yeah it 's good and so it 's in march February, march february,
0: this year we, uh, nineteen we start february fifteen and it runs for four weeks and finishes on march
1: seventeenth yeah. so it's um it's uh, it's pretty amazing you know so so why why is a big big question but why does the arts and particularly events like the fringe matter for a culture like adelaide
0: yeah it's it 's a great question because I think that that we spend our lives a lot in a sort of a, sort of a cookie-cutter environment, A to B, a very practical mm. world. And I think arts in general gives us time to pause and to think. Whether it's going to a film, listening to a piece of music, looking at a painting, going to the Festival of Arts, the Fringe, WOMAD or whatever, it's, it's about just waiting, just stopping, taking in something on a personal, intellectual or mind sort of level... Mm and really understanding it. I mean, I really believe you can change hearts and minds, you know, in sort of in in the sense that, you know, I, I talk strongly about Indigenous art, Indigenous sound, Indigenous music and so on, because I think that's really important for people to get to. Arts is a way that we all in general could understand more about Indigenous people and grow, yeah. our, grow our knowledge base. So I find it really, really powerful. And I find it really powerful when I sort of see shows sort of that are based about refugees or sort of conflict in other countries and, and uh, uh, amazing the- immersive theatre where you're kind of practically transported to the bunkers in World War I and you you suddenly feel, not just watch, you feel What's going on? Yeah. So, so the arts has a powerful agenda, and of course, it can make you laugh. It can yeah. make you cry. It can make you, you know, all sorts of things.
1: Yeah. So it can be it can be happy or sad yeah. or yeah. understand Confronted.
0: culture. It, it can confront is is part of the journey of art, I think. Yeah. Um, but in a in a good way or a bad way. I mean, you yeah. you can you know. I mean. Let's not muck around. I mean, in the general world of arts, it, there can be some shit out there, you know, yeah. but it's okay, you know. It's somebody thinks it's art and therefore yeah. it's okay. You know?
1: And in many ways the, the fringe is an entrepreneurial, at a, at a, a small yep. artist entrepreneurial level yeah. that they're making, taking a punt that they can put and on a show I mean, and actually make it viable for them to cover costs uh, or whatever it might which, be. And so
0: sometimes it. it's even about covering costs, sometimes it's just doing it yeah, yeah. is the issue for them. I mean, you're absolutely right. I think this whole idea of... Uh, the Fringe is open access. So unless it's against the law of the land, you, you can have a show in the Fringe. Mm. Everybody can do it. So it's quite amazing. That's why there is um, so much eccentricity in some of it. Yes, we have the big shows, the obvious. Um, you need that, don't you? Yeah.
1: You, don't, you want to, don't want to have it so it just becomes a comedy festival, for no, example. No, no, or, no or exactly. Or whatever. And, that, w- and, that
0: would be a real error. Yeah, and and setting a
1: bar that you've got to be above this height or whatever.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And so so you know, we we genuinely spend a lot of time with individual artists trying and emerging artists trying to help them you know and we've set up a fund you know a foundation an artist fund to try and raise money that we can actually help feed i don't mean physically feed but give income Mm. uh, or money to to help people develop their shows and so it's it's kind of like a a pretty big ecosystem now and uh you know so it's 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 got a life of its own, this machine, but it's wonderful, you know.
1: Yeah, and you've got to feed that machine. And, you yeah, do, yeah. yeah. And, and that, you need great people, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we've had a few interviews with people from the arts and I guess one thing that I've found interesting is, one, the the cultural importance of the arts and and how we do it well here, but maybe we can learn from other places like, like Europe that maybe becomes more ingrained into their community yeah. like, like sport is. Yeah. Uh, and the other side is how entrepreneurial uh, people need to be when they're an artist. They need to find an audience. They need yeah. to find money, and we don't often don't we see arts as being the arts, yeah. not being an entrepreneur, but it's yeah. got to be more entrepreneurial than, than well, creating a business. Certainly, putting
0: themselves out there at risk, you know, all the time, right. and, and I think that's the issue. And I, I think people forget that, you know, that it is um, their business to to understand and have a go and work it out, you know, and it's highly emotional for many people because it is so much of them being sort of uh, tested. But it's great. I mean, you know, you asked me before, do I play? No, I don't play musical instruments or whatever. I wished I could, but I don't. i would like mm. to have my record label now. But but for these people, the, the opportunity to perform and to do and, and be there is really, really powerful. It's it's them. It's mm. who they are. They need to express themselves. So, you know, events like The Fringe and others make a huge difference to individuals' mm. lives.
1: What, what impact do you think uh, The Fringe and the arts more broadly has on... The culture of South Australia. Yeah, well, it's interesting. You know, I think that
0: um, there's an element in all those sort of festivals and so on that, that's generally commercial, mm. you know, genuinely commercial. So I think that um, that would be, any you, know, you see somebody, someone on TV, so you go see them, you know, that's, that's fine. But um, I just think it, it's that slowly, slowly changing people's attitudes, making them smile, relax, enjoy life, see things in a different way, be confronted by a few things along the way, but just get better and better. The byproduct that I value the most, though, is that we help young people get jobs in the arts mm. because you can be a part-time or in the fringe for a little while, learn some skill sets, get employed in one of the venues or whatever and, and find your way to Edinburgh, work around there, some of you on the global mm-hmm. circuit. So w- there are career opportunities within the arts for so many young people coming out of a school environment or a university environment trying to find a way forward. Arts is where they'd want to be. Arts is not a big... Um, opportunity for employment. So uh, an event like The Fringe allows access, a starting point, an opportunity mm. for people. So I see that. So the a, economic
1: side and the job side.
0: Yeah, all coming into I mean, our economic benefit's about $95 million yeah. a year to the state and all that, which is big, you know, it's terrific. But but really it's what, where that money's spent and how it's spent and what it does, you know, to restaurants and people and taxis and hotels and various things. But really back to those core people who get the opportunity to land in the arts
1: world and get their first step forward. That's the magic of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where do you think we should be heading as a state or even as a broader population sort of worldwide around the role of events like the fringe and the arts yeah. and, and well, culture?
0: I think that... Um, long may they be so you know in the sense, may they exist you know i know that it's and we all know i guess it's harder and harder for the government to keep funding certain events and various things you know fortunately at the fringe we have a great support from the government but we also raise a lot of our own funds to help us keep going and so we're not independent of the government, but we're working in that sort of we in that area but i think the whole idea of um, South Australia needs more of this vitality in its life. I mean, um, I think there are some great signs. You know, as you know, we've recently been announcing space opportunity and other mm. things that are going. The YALA announcement recently and all those things. So I think there's a there's an, um, a positive air about the about the state. But even before that, I think within the younger generation there really is a positive attitude. This is where they're living, this is my mm-hmm. home, and I'm going to make it work, and I'm going to make it colourful and bright and vibrant and happy, not dour, straight and normal. Mm-hmm. So the arts and those events begin to play. And you just have to take a look around the city of Adelaide and how coffee shops have changed or how a deli's changed from being a deli to a, to a sort of pizzeria, pizza you know, taco era. I mean, the world is evolving, you know, that, mm-hmm. the, that, that, that generation is taking it and painting a new landscape in the old places. Mm. And it's wonderful. You, you can know? just
1: sow the seeds, you can crack the environment. Yeah, and it's good. And hopefully entrepreneurs. Yeah, and it just shows you
0: how creative many, many people are yeah. in how they approach, A, the way they make a coffee or B, what they offer and how they do it. Um, you know, plant for at Bowdoin, I'm just thinking, of various places around it, just suddenly have a new vitality mm. and a new life and energy. Mm. And a youthful one at that, it's really inspiring. You yeah. know?
1: And creating that kind of that, that, that great place to live, it's, it's really having it so it's, you can get a job. But I look at many big cities and they're getting harder and harder to live. It's harder yeah. to afford a house and it's yeah. it's harder to travel and you've got great big toll gates and we don't have any toll gates no, here. No, no, we're great. But creating that like almost idealistic place to live I think is is quite important. We've got, we've got wine within about 15, half an hour's drive and you've got the arts, it's so strong. And we're once like the State Theatre, we interviewed geordie brookman and they're exporting theater to the uk and like all around the world you think that's just incredible yeah. but but it's creating that in that environment that people actually want to live yeah. here that and i guess it comes back to that that creative space so it's talked about advertising and the likes or whether it's digital or whether it's more tra- like more traditional advertising marketing but then also the arts has been like inputting into the creative kind of ecosystem isn't it yeah. really just that whole mindset of of yeah, thinking that's... differently about about things
0: Very much so. I mean, I'm reminded, as you were saying that, that I mean, there was a journalist came from Sydney a couple of years back, it must have been in the 2017 fringe, and wrote an article uh, back in the Australian. The headline was, you know, the party that defines a city. Mm. And basically said, How long has this been going on? And very many people come to town and say, How long have you been doing this? Mm. So I know it's only one one month of of 12 months, but it it means the energy's there and the opportunities there and the abilities there, you know? And I think you're right about. I hate in a way that phrase about quality of life, but our ability to live well and comfortably and move around and travel and do travel on a weekend and go places or whatever is pretty big. Those big cities of Sydney and Melbourne and to some extent Brisbane, it's getting increasingly more difficult Mm. to do what you have to do. We have friends in Melbourne who on a Saturday they prioritise what they have to do. So it defines where they go. Whereas in Adelaide, you can do everything in about 27 minutes and you're back home again. All this, you know, I don't mean that tritely, but, but it's. It is a big advantage, the quality that we
1: have. You don't have have to be so regimented. No. Do you?
0: you're free-spirited. And so, you know, you've just got to encourage everybody to really and truly enjoy it, get out there and enjoy it.
1: That's right. Do you feel that people, are, with the technology occurring, digital, and people can sit at home and watch Netflix or Stan and be on their phones we're kind of finding people using their phones more often, do you find people are getting off the couch and going out? Do you kind of have enough trust in the community that moving forward we can – shut the door and leave our phones
0: um, in our pockets. And... Every generation has its couch potatoes, you know, yeah. so that, that, oh, there will be that. But, but, I mean, sort of, you know, it's got an ability. The one thing I am tired of, though, is walking down sort of the streets and bumping into people heading, who basically bump straight into you because they're work, yeah, working on their phones, right. you know. Um, so, um, but, look, I guess there are the people who will choose not to get out and go out and maneuver about and take advantage of it. Then there are the others, you know, who who want to enjoy and take on and live in a, in a very vibrant city and state. Mm. So they're, they're, they're the ones that... So you're, gonna
1: have, you're always going to have people going to be couched yeah. potatoes yeah, and yeah, you're going to yeah. sit at home and yeah. play games or yeah. watch Netflix and, and not want to yeah. move, but you just want no, to... You, you, so you, sort of, you would focus on the people who want to actually get out. Yeah, and do this. I mean, and do there's stuff. nothing
0: wrong with people want to binge on, a, on a, some TV series they really like for a while, but yeah. don't make that your life. Yeah, you, yeah. Know, so you know, sort of get out and enjoy and exercise and run and have, have fun because... It's a great place. You know? so, what,
1: so, again, why does that matter? I, so I can say I, I can watch this uh, series of Netflix that's first class, that comes from the US, that must be, be, must be better than going off and, and seeing a local arts performance. What, what, yeah, what, what benefit do you get out I of it? I
0: think getting out and about just changes your perspective in your environment because you're mm-hmm. living in your little narrow world. So when you're going out and then doing other things, you're starting to see other things and taking, taking on thoughts, and oh, that's different, Maybe that's, and oh that was funny, and that wasn't so funny, or that was sad. You know, you're just, you're just experiencing life, the wonder of life, in a different way. You're seeing a different thing, yeah, yeah. you know, rather than living in the box. You're actually
1: living outside the box. Yeah, no, that, that's good. That's good. That's, yeah. really, that's, that's great. Um, and sort of just, I guess, just in terms of for, for economies like South Australia in, like in, a, in a global context, you, you sort of see there must be more opportunities now, sort of globally than what they're... Yeah, I, I think
0: we always... We've got a long way to go and, we you know, we, we suffer a little bit from being the size of the population yeah. that we are. I, it's great to hear such an encouragement to increase the number of the population of South Australia through skilled migration and other means and some of these new announcements, uh, the Wyala and various things, space... Um, uh, state the space station, the, the, the space centre um, become very valuable ways to bring people to to the state and mm. that starts to have its own momentum and grow people so um, you know it's important that we grow and keep growing because you fall behind if you don't have critical mass yeah you know we need
1: so that's know. a big thing we, we're struggling because we're a million people yeah. yeah. city aren't we really yeah. you know, I think the whole land side of land size of South Australia is one hundred and fifty-three percent the size of France, about three percent of the population. Yeah, they, so there's yeah. a challenge, isn't it? Really, yeah. so yeah. yeah.
0: Not that we have to live everywhere, and yeah. all, but 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 I just think the idea of us all understand and vibrancy doesn't mean congestion necessarily. You can have vibrance and spread vibrancy yeah. and make it all work um, if you're smart about it, you yeah. know, and and how you think about planning the city or planning the, the suburbs or planning the regions. It's great, you know, and, and I mean, just, just getting out and about and having a look at the regions in South Australia, oh, my God, they are amazing and they're not that far away, mm. you know. So you know, the equivalence of, you know, I mean, again, our wine, for example, you could, you could be in, in, um, in France or in, in Spain or whatever. Mm. You drive through um, McLaren Vale or Clare, Barossa or whatever, it's pretty magical yeah. sort of stuff. But we don't sometimes see it through those yes, eyes. Right. We see those as more attractive but what we have here is magical. That's right
1: beaches without lots of people ah. on them and God. I mean, there's 15 kilometres between the hills to the beach. It's pretty amazing. It's absolutely incredible. You can, you, you, well, you could run. You, you I run could low. run. Are you still doing marathons? Or
0: you? Uh, I just this year I just finished three half marathons in eight weeks. Yeah. So I'm taking it a bit easy at the moment and heading to Fat City. I'm uh, drinking beers and eating pizzas. It's Is that good. right? You know, you've, you've
1: done the New York marathon. Before, New York marathon. Yeah. You? yeah. It's um, how, how many? Have you-
0: no, I've only done. It, well, I went there twice. First time Hurricane Sandy blew it out. The second time I went in 13. Uh, I actually ran it. But um but I worked this out. You only have to run a marathon once to be a marathoner. That's so yeah. all right, it's kick it off. I've probably a bit annoying on the subject, but I but I love it. But that was my sixtieth birthday present to myself and I, I know it was a selfish thing to do, but but it, amazingly I think it just invigorated me so much. Mm. Um, you know, it, it's given me I think not energy but enough momentum mm. to keep going for a while. And I love running now, you know, and I, I started running at 58, you know, yeah. so there you go. You well,
1: yeah, I, I walk a fair bit and I've these, I've be walking in random spots and and you'll run past. you <laughs> <laughs> like Forrest Gump, but there now, you go. Yeah. it's very nice <laughs> to be to run past
0: someone, so there you go, That's you know. That's
1: it. Um, what's, your, what's on your bucket list do you still want to do? Yeah,
0: that? no, I, I, I've never been a big bucket list sort of individual. I, uh, I find you, afraid, got, you got
1: the next thing you want to do? Um,
0: I'm... I'm I want to try and use the next twelve months to reassess a few things, like where I'm at and what I'm doing. The record label's got a few things it's going to put out, so there's some, some activity there. But there's a couple of things I haven't kind of completed in in my own list of things, and I, and um, one of them has a little bit to do with the film world. One has a little bit more to do with the music world. So there's some things I'm contemplating. You know, I wouldn't say committed to yet, but contemplating. And so I'll use the time. You know,
1: still with creativity in the yeah, very much so. You mindset. know,
0: but see the thing is, you know. As you reach sixty six and stuff, you start thinking, Well, the one commodity I can't get any more of is time. So I've got what I've got. So what do you what do you really want to do with that? You know, what yeah. what's what's critical, what's important, and how does it all fit
1: together, you know? Does your mind go through life looking for opportunities? Then you go down that path, is that a there's, bit? There's, yeah, a bit a of that. Bit yeah,
0: no, it does. No, it, it does. And um it's there's a there's a sort of a central cause we talked about before. But yeah, it, it happens, you know, and sort of it, it's um it's fun like that. I mean, it's unexpected, you yeah. know. So um, and I'm
1: and that seems to be more of a thing that, the, that schools are educating their children to go. We've got to you've got to deal with uncertainty, and you might go through multiple jobs. And but we still find in some of the work we do that parents are still saying. We want you to go through this very safe vocational route, and but that's the best way to get a mortgage. Yeah. And yeah. so, the so children aren't always being brought up to think. Well, I have to think creatively or be ready for uncertainty. They're almost being they've been told a little bit more about resilience. I get the sense, but not necessarily told that no shit will happen and you'll have to go in a different route. Or, yeah. or do, you, do you get that? I,
0: I think that generation know that. The, the, I, it, I think yeah. they understand it's not like it was, yeah. so therefore, so they they have, the to be, yeah, they have to be and they have to. They understand that. I think they're sort of they're more. My, my sense is they're more in control of their destiny. You know, they they're actually you know know they want to move from here to here. If I don't get that there, I'll move there. Or you know, things might there'll be tough times. You know, and I, but I want to do this and a few other things.
1: Where it used so, to be more linear. You yeah, feel? yeah, you could
0: okay. follow a line. You know, you know, you, you you're almost assured of a job.
1: So but you, it seems like you were in a in a in a period of. People being perhaps more linear in their careers, you were perhaps a little bit zigzaggy, little
0: bit, yeah, a little bit yeah, zigzaggy. Zigzag, <laughs> zigzag. No, no, it's true. So, but but again, I mean, I think each generation defines what it wants to do, how it yeah. wants to be. I mean, I always smile. And this you. next
1: generation will be quite different.
0: Right? I, I agree. agree. Yeah. You know, I think you know you you know more about this night. I always laugh at Generation X, Y, and Z, and millennials and all. that Because I mean, at the, at the end of the day, we're all fundamentally people with with eyes and ears and sort of hearts and things that feel various things and we feel very similar things, you know. Yeah. You react differently. Do You react the same to uh, emotions and things. So it's, it is the same, just packaged differently, you know.
1: Yeah, okay. So what do you think the fundamentals are moving forward for younger people to live a successful life, a successful career? That, we started with you growing up around driving. Isn't yeah, yeah. What, what's, yeah. The, well, what's the message moving forward?
0: I, I think the message, just, just live your – take – ownership of your own life in a way, let it be and, and, and go out and get what you want, you know, I mean, go out and feel and think and see and do but choose which way you, you want to go and I know that sounds kind of an easy thing to say but I really think they need that permission to, mm. to have, have a go and, and see what is possible, you mm. know, and see see where life can take them mm. and what that journey is.
1: Is that about following their instincts or their passion? Because I, I, I speak to people in their 40s and they go, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. So yeah. So ha-
0: well, I've, I've lived in fear of growing up, so it's... Yeah. A, um, but but I, think, I think you're right, they, that they need to um, just... Some people can choose and define and do what they want to do. Other people accidentally walk their way. Some people bumble their way into sort of mm. situations... Um, some and people, bumbling's
1: fine that, absolutely yeah. correct, yeah.
0: some people make mistakes and find their next, yeah. and, and find a very
1: positive way forward, yeah. so give that a go if that's not right yeah, do that. yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: and I, but, but I think I think they get it. I mean you know, they don 't necessarily need uh, an older man telling them what they should do. <laughs> I, I reckon they they know where they're headed and what they're about and what, who they are yeah. and what's what's important. They may have a better balance in life than some of us had in the past in in, in sense of balancing business and, and personal but but they they are really, really good at what they're doing, you know. I'm, I'm encouraged by the young generations that I meet, you know, and the people that I So are what are bit... you
1: seeing that excites you?
0: Well, I just see, I mean, I'm working uh, just recently with a young musician, uh, get, a, get his first sort of music out. I mean, I'm just giving you advice, not really doing much. And it's just great. He's just released the EP and, and he's so excited, you know. It's fantastic. And he's got the next single ready to go. And it's just great to see how. And he's helping me grow because he's mm. telling me about different platforms upon which the whole thing's being released. But i see seen him, you know, like I watched him go from being anxious about the whole thing to really excited by the whole thing, mm. now in the in the middle of the whole process. Yeah, and so yeah. it's a really, really good thing, you know. Yeah. So it's a great thing. You know, so but, empowering them to do Yeah, to, to do, do it. That, yeah. You know, my son um, uh, recently in the last 18 months opened his own advertising agency. Yeah. Blow me down, you know. There's my father. Did <laughs> you tell but, him not to? <laughs> well, exactly. Oh, there's three generations of uh, Meneers in advertising. No consumer is safe. Um, but, uh, you know, but... Again, it's because he grew up in an environment. He decided that's what he wanted to do. I think he's got the skill set to do it and, and I would never stand in his way and encourage him to have a go and And he's doing well. But he and his partner, uh, business partner Michael, are doing incredibly well. So yeah. it, it's good to see that, you know, but that's a risk. That was a big risk, a big parachute jump out of the comfort of a bigger agency in town yeah. to go out on your own and uh, – they haven't quite landed on the ground yet. They're still floating, but it's still really good for them, you know.
1: Yeah, good. Um, last bit, sort of how um, can people find you? Are, are you on social media or do they just around? I'm a bit invisible. Around and that, yeah. I, 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 I like your LinkedIn, David. It just says David Meneer, independent entertainment professional. You've got one entry that says general rat bag, y 1977 to 2003, but you've done a lot of other stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I feel a bit obligated as my life gets older and, and I seem to get this perception I should do more with that. But I have no, 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 been, no,
1: I think it's great. I think it's, it's, the, the simplicity is beautiful.
0: I, I like the reclusive. I mean, I, I'm not, I don't <laughs> want to play a lot on Facebook and I don't want to play a lot on Instagram and, and, and LinkedIn. I use LinkedIn for me to search out other people, so yep. that's kind of why I'm there. Yep. But, um, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy with my persona. I mean, yep. I'm, I'm very happy with where the where I'm at you know yeah. I don't want to waste the time I have f- in the future, so I'm really going to be very careful about that going forward but no it's it's, it's a good life you know and to uh, think it all started in those drive ins all those years ago right. you know but I, I sort of um, I, I brought a little quote along because I think um, this i didn't realize how much it's meant to me until I sort of saw it but um, um, Albert Einstein uh, wrote a line that said imagination is more important than knowledge for knowledge is limited to all we know and, and understand while imagination embraces the entire world and all that there will ever be to know and understand. So it's really the importance of, of that sort of whole creativity factor and its ability to, to drive, you know, to push mm. and, and to challenge and change. Um, so whatever you do,
1: make sure creativity is a big part of the mm. journey. Mm. And use that imagination. Good, Totally. That's a good spot to end. Thank you so much, David. Thank you, mate. I appreciate the time. Hey, Jason here to say goodbye. Until next time, please subscribe to Real People via iTunes, your favourite podcast platform. While you are there, please leave a review. If you're interested in receiving our every Friday, same time emails on everything human-centered, customer focus, entrepreneurialism, and thinking different, popular articles by me, the Square Holes team, and special guests who have included Professor Barry Bergen, Christy Anthony, and Suet Anantula, please go to squareholes.com forward slash blog to read and join our email list. You can also follow me, Jason Dunstone, on Twitter or your favorite social media. Thank you for listening. Uru.